Hello, and welcome to another edition of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard. Our guest today is the Jillian Michaels from Biggest Loser. But right now, I'm joined in the studio by John Tesh. John, how you doing? I'm great. So, this, uh, how was this interview? With I'm, I'm, Jill- I'm intrigued. Jillian is amazing. She, you understand why she has been so successful when you talk to her uh, as a trainer, as a as a nutritionist, and obviously as a television. Is that because it, is she actually motivating when you're talking she to her? She is very motivating, and her new book, Six Keys, is all about how to uh, how to age well, and and basically at the cellular level, cellular level, stop aging in its tracks. So she she really has has some great insight. Now I will say this: she does not like the ketogenic diet. She oh, does like she does like uh, uh, caloric restriction, which comes with the keto and intermittent fasting. She likes that kind of stuff and the uh, the apoptosis, the aphagy that comes from doing that. But she does not. She, she well mostly she, you'll hear why she doesn't like the ketogenic diet. And I'm oh, I'm okay I can't with wait. keto. Despite oh, wow. the fact of that, you know what's interesting is that I feel like I'm becoming less keto and more intermittent fasting. Because I like to eat, uh, you know, I, I like to eat other stuff now, and not just yeah. the saturated fat, and you know. But yeah. but but I, but I am I, I, most of the time I am fasting for eighteen twenty hours. So yeah, no, yeah. and that's and that's great. But look, she would say I asked her this question, and, and I'll just give away the answer now. I asked her if it was better to cut out the saturated fats or such, to cut out fat in general, or to cut out sugar in general. And she said definitely cut out sugar sure, in general. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but she doesn't like where a lot of our fat comes from, so she'll tell you. She'll tell us good places to get fat, and also the kind of eating yeah. that she wants to do. Yeah, I have to. I have to be honest with you. I when I when I see her and I see her like you know mm-hmm. as a, as a model or talking or whatever on an infomercial, yeah. she scares me. She's super intense. Yeah, you She's, get this I, even just her resting face. Yeah, you know the RBF thing. Yeah. It's not that, but it's just it's like it's like resting. Dude, she got re- resting uh, trainer face. Exactly. Like you, should, <laughs> you should be working harder. It's a face that makes you feel like oh gosh, oh gosh, should I do more crunches right now? I'm just gonna drop and give you twenty. Uh, I knew there was something in there, and you found it. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. She totally does resting trainer face. But she was an absolute delight, and uh, um, uh, we're really thankful that, that she gave us her time. That's great. I can't wait to hear this interview. Hey, speaking of of, of training uh apparently uh people are not just training for football basketball or you know a tough mutter like uh, uh like scotty myers um so the the i guess this caught me by surprise but the e-sports industry you want to you want to explain this to, to to people who are playing league of legends and starcraft it's professional and video gaming yeah. that's what it is yeah, what, professional how, video gaming. Uh, what makes it professional they get paid. Oh no no no! <laughs> Is it because people? Are- <laughs> that's, All right, that's it. Look, but here's here's how the le- how the stuff works. There are a handful of. Video that was a high hard one for you. Right there. <laughs> There's a handful of video games that are ultra competitive and that are played on this uh, in this circuit, this professional gaming circuit, and these really good gamers. And when I say really good gamers, like I play video games, kinda, uh, they would absolutely destroy me. So these guys are they're they're incredible and girls they're incredibly talented gamers they uh they spend a lot of time playing these core video games and they join teams and they get recruit you know it's just like it's just like a basketball team they there's they they have different roles that they play and they they go to these competitions and they play games for hours and hours a day well now so for, for let me just stop you saying for a football game people are actually playing they're they're paying their uh, the networks are paying rights fees to watch yeah. it. And they're also uh, people are going to the stadium. So where, where's the where's the? There are arenas and stadiums where people come and they put it up on a big screen, and you watch these guys who are amazing at playing games 
play the game in front of you. And uh, can you? I, I, it's in Vegas too, isn't it? I'm sure. I, I'm sure yeah, they have, they have them all over. It, you can bet on it. Well, you, yeah. the, in Las Vegas, you can bet on anything. <laughs> so yeah. yes, you can bet on this, and obviously yeah. that's uh, that's one of the untold stories of American sports. Is the key to making sports successful is how much people can bet on it because that's where that's where the attention really comes. So uh, now they have trainers these uh, these video gamers. So and a lot of the exercises are like burpees and squat jumps and planks and and uh, yoga some some of these teams i guess they have teams huh uh-huh they do they have state of the art training facilities and uh the injuries are uh overuse injuries of the hands carpal mm-hmm. tunnel and uh some of these gamers i'm looking at the stats here push buttons at the rate of more than 5 moves per second yep them look these these guys cuz some of these are tournaments insane. last 8 hours well right so here's the deal look uh, what are what are race car drivers doing right yeah Race car drivers are sitting in a car. They're doing the exact same thing. They're just dealing with the G-forces. They're actually doing something. Well, it I'm seems sorry, like it, but it's the same thing, right? And look, and, and, race, and race car driving is very physically demanding. Those guys are in great shape. They are in peak performance. It requires... The other thing it requires is a lot of attention and unwavering attention. And that is just as exhausting. And a as fireproof running. suit. Yes. Well, look, <laughs> it's the, a little the, more dangerous. The fact that they could die... Look, a light could fall on these professional gamers... <laughs> Uh, I gotta, I gotta have to have a steroid injection in my thumb. Yeah, but but the reality is, our joints, our bodies are designed to move. And whether you're sedentary in a race car or sedentary inside of, uh, instead of a gaming arena, the better shape you're in, the more you're able to withstand extreme conditions, even extremely lazy seeming conditions like that. Uh, your wrist is going to be healthier. Your your muscles, you're just going to be better off. And these gamers are proving that by actually working out on top of it. I love it. Well, I know. I just as you were talking there, I just leaned over and looked looked at uh, another one of these uh, data points. The pro game gamers, and I, I'm going to sign up for the the senior tour. There must be a senior tour, right? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, because as thumbs age, you can't you can't hit buttons as quickly. Fine. No, it's just my age. You know, just yeah. the, the senior tour, and and it'll be like, uh, um, pong. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Pong and, and Mrs. Pac-Man. Mrs. Pac- Ms. Pac-Man. They, remember, it was never Mrs. It oh, it was Ms. Pac-Man. Right, my yeah. mistake. So these pro game, great gamers, gosh, they make millions of dollars a year they in do. prize money and endorsements. It, that's the key is endorsements. They, they have special controllers, right? And if a company makes a special controller and then they, uh, they, and they have a special chair and all that stuff, and then the kids playing at home who can play. Here's the other thing. You can play the exact same games these players are playing. I can't go and put on pads and play NFL football. I can't go and try to hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, but I can go and play League of Legends just like these guys are yeah. playing. Listen, I, I just had this image, and I know it's the wrong image, but you know, a lot of gamers, back in the old days anyway, the image that I still have in my head is the guys on Big Bang Theory. You know, It's like with you know, gla- sure. Coke bottle glasses. And, sure, you know, and, and those guys are earning millions of dollars a yeah, year but, being big nerds. But can you imagine they make that much money, right? Uh-huh. And then, the, and then, and then their, their agent says, I just hired Jillian Michaels to come over to your house and to train you. Can you imagine that guy when she I, shows up? I mean, <laughs> what do I do with this? I, oh my the, gosh! So some, Mom, look, look, man, Mom, look, you're making fun of this, but some of those guys I'm not, are, I'm gonna get are, killed are for making dating, fun of it. Are dating are dating supermodels now? Like one guy was dating the super famous uh, Mexican weather girl, uh, and he's a professional gamer. Like it's it's it's. A real thing. <laughs> okay. Just like professional baseball okay. players are dating models, right. professional gamers are dating okay. models too. All Look, right. I know it sounds crazy. I no, know I'm, I'm good. I'm playing the dumb guy here. So <laughs> might as well just keep going. But it's real. Look, I mean, okay. it's, it, you know, it, it requires a certain skill set and a lot of practice and, and, and they're obviously they're, they're getting in great shape now. So it, it all, it all lines up 
to be just like race car drivers or, I mean, you know, what's a quarterback doing out there? He's, yeah. yeah, he's getting hit, but he's standing in the pocket most of the time. Let me know if Sheldon or Leonard ends up uh, dating, uh, what's her name? Um, Jillian Michaels, please. I, I don't think that's going to happen for a number of reasons. Yeah. All right. So anyway, uh, that's enough kibitzing here. I, I really want to get to this interview because I'm very excited about, uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to pick up some tips from, from yeah. Jillian. And I think it's, I think it's great. Yeah. We're really excited to have her Jillian Michaels, Jillian Michaels. Thank you so much for being a part of this with us. I mean, you're America's trainer. You are like, you're the most motivating human being on the planet. And we get to talk to you for a little bit today. Thank you. Oh, gosh. Well, thank you. <laughs> All right. So you've got a new book coming out right now, Six Keys. And in it, you talk about a new approach to aging where you were almost annoyed by how many people kept telling you how young you look. Can you, <laughs> what, uh, most of us would love that. Can you explain why that bothers you so much? Well, you know, look, at, at first it's it's very flattering, right? And you're like, okay, thanks. And, and then it kind of it keeps going and people check your ID and they're like, really? God, you've maintained well. And it got me thinking, like, what does 40, well, at the time I was 43, but what is 43, 44, what does that look like to other people? Why doesn't it look the way I look? Or, you know, what is the predisposition that people have mm -hmm. um, to aging? And it's often like, oh, you should be like, tired and decrepit and old and losing hair and all kinds of negative connotations. You're really describing me right now, so that's great. <laughs> well, luckily there is hope. Oh. So if that is the case, think positive. Do go on. What What is the hope? Well, the, the reality is that there's nothing in our genes that tells us to age or die. Nothing. So when we boil it down and we look at all of the cutting edge science and research, there are really six body processes that are responsible for how we age. And some of it has to do with stress adaptation, some of it has to do with metabolism, the length of our telomeres, our macromolecules. But without getting into too much of the science right off the bat, the, the bottom line is these body processes should be working for us. But the way we're living our lives, they work against us. So stress is supposed to make us adapt and become stronger physically right. and emotionally. But when we have chronic stress right. and right. no periods of rest and recovery, it gets out of control and it breaks us down. Same thing with inflammation. So when we look at each one of these body processes and what's essentially turning them in the wrong direction, the good news is it's very possible to, to turn them in the right direction and not only dramatically slow the process of aging as in like how our body quite literally decays we can slow that down significantly and we can also reverse a lot of the damage we may have already done okay so how do i start like what I, I don't you don't have to give away the whole book just give us a tease what is the first step i can start doing today to start undoing the unnatural what you're calling unnatural aging that i have in my life of course. Well, look, it's it's a program or a way of life, I like to call it, because it's it's not a suggestion. It really is how we are biologically designed to live and exist. And it's something that touches upon controlling your lifestyle, which is um, in regard to this book has to do with your behaviors and your habits. Right. And if we cannot change that and make room for the proper diet, the proper fitness, the proper stress management, the proper environmental control, then you know we're, we're behind the eight ball. So one of the top things that I would suggest people do right off the bat 
is restructure their lives to make room for the steps that are required. And that means looking at your life and saying, okay, if I have, it's like 168, something like that, 168 waking hours in the week, or I'm sorry, 168 hours in the week. And of those 112 of them are waking hours, right? So okay. you give yourself seven to eight hours of sleep, which no more and no less is ideal. Okay. Bad if we get nine, bad if we're down below seven. So that's the sweet spot, seven to eight. Step number one, you've got to get your sleep because on so many levels, it affects those six body processes that I referenced. So you've now got seven to eight hours of sleep and people are thinking like, no way, impossible. If I can do it, you can do it. I've got two young kids. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm busy as well. You go to bed, you turn off the computer, you put your phone down, you stop watching TV, and you prioritize your sleep. That's all of my enjoyment in life is watching my TV and staring at my phone after my kids go to sleep. And I got to stop that. Uh, You've got to stop that. Honestly, you really need to make sure you're getting seven to eight hours. And then you've now got 112 hours left in your week, right? So this is we practice something I call the 12-hour rule. So if we said, okay, I'm going to take 50 hours and it's going to go towards work. And I'm going to take 50 hours and it's going to go towards running my household, taking the dog to the vet, changing the oil in the car, taking the clothes to the dry cleaning, doing the shopping, bringing the kids back and forth to school and so on. You now have 12 hours left each week. Okay. And with those 12 hours, they need to be scheduled so that you're getting at least four half hours of exercise or five 20 minute sessions, whether they're in your living room or you're going for a jog or a bike ride in your neighborhood, a hike, whatever it may be, you've got at least two hours a week over the course of your week for training. You've got at least a couple hours for a a hygiene appointment, a doctor's appointment. So one week it might be your physical, the next week it might be a haircut, the next week it might be the dentist. But over the course of your month, these hours are adding up, right? Mm -hmm. So you're getting in all your personal appointments. Then you make time either for hobbies or friends, could be two to three hours. You've got time for a date night, maybe two with your significant other, it could be two dinners. And when you sort of add all of that up over 12 hours, it's not perfect, but it's enough to maintain your health, your mental sanity, your personal relationships, and make room for whatever else needs to be done, be it sleep, be it fitness, be it food prep, and eating right. And again, those are just the basics of it. I mean, we get into tremendous depth on what foods you should be eating that help with oxidative stress and you know how much you should be drinking and what your eating schedule should be. But mm-hmm. the basics first have to be addressed. How do we manage our stress? How do we prioritize our sleep? And how do we make room for the necessary steps we need to take with food and fitness? And that's where I call it practicing the 12-hour rule. Okay, so you referenced, so that's that's fine. I feel like when you lay out the budget like that, the budget of time, right, it makes sense and it seems it seems doable. Does does that have an immediate impact? Like you mentioned telomeres, and for those of you that don't know, telomeres are these chains of extra genetic information at the end of your last necessary coded gene. And as they shorten over your lifetime, a lot of scientists think that's what actually tells your body to die. It's or, one of, it's right. one of. What's happening is your your DNA aren't protected. Right. So, so how do I protect myself from telomeres, from my telomeres decaying? Well, it's a, it's a really long chapter, but, but one of the best things you can actually do when it comes to telomeres 
are is is how you manage your food. So we're looking at diets that are too high in fat, in particular saturated and fake fats. So mm. one of the top things you can do is moderate your fat intake, and on top of that, get polyunsaturated and monounsaturated fats. So omega threes. Um, things like olive oil as well. So like wild salmon. And if you're vegan, think you know, flaxseed or walnuts, mm -hmm. um, olives, olive oil, avocado. And we believe that these polyunsaturated and monounsaturated fats help to protect telomeres. Um, and that when we're eating a diet too high in fat, period, particularly saturated fats and fake fats like trans, trans fatty acids, it's doing a tremendous amount of damage. I mean, there's, there's a lot more that we can do, but right. that's, in it, when it comes to food, one of the top things you can do. And that's why when we look at diets like keto, for example. Uh, yeah. I mean, are you keto? I am, but I eat a diet that's very high in olive oil and avocado. Okay. That's what I eat. Okay. So, so part of the issue also when we look at our macromolecules as well, which is, is another one of those body processes that affects the way we age, our cells are literally made up of carbohydrates, proteins, fats, and nucleic acids. So when we're cutting out macros, it's it's affecting the six keys negatively. And in general, a keto diet is not one that practices calorie restriction. Right. Um, and, and that's bad for aging, very bad. We wanna manage our food intake for so many reasons. One is oxidative stress, right? Okay. When we're constantly eating, we're constantly having to take our energy and, you know, point it towards food metabolism, but it's also releasing free radicals. So a diet that doesn't uh, advocate calorie restriction, a diet that is high in animal proteins and high in fats is bad for aging, in particular telomeres. So that's where we really got to look at things like keto that might make you lean, and that's, that's great, but you can get lean without having to right. do that. So that's, I mean, I don't want to, I don't. Oh, no, <laughs> I don't take it personally. It's a ridiculous diet. I mean, I put oil in my coffee. I understand it's not for everybody. But one of the things that I like and the scientists that I've talked to about keto is I like IF. I like intermittent fasting. I like being able to have uh, steady energy over long periods without worrying about food intake. So I, I like the feeling of intermittent fasting. Does that fit into my six keys? Like the apoptosis associated with it? Absolutely. So intermittent fasting um, is fantastic because it does get us into a process called autophagy, right? Which is the apoptosis component where when we have- Let's slow down for a second. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, intermittent fasting is where you eat within a small window during the day. So maybe you you're don't eat for 20 hours a day, but there's a four-hour window in which you consume all of your calories. Some people do 18 hours and then six-hour window whatever it may be. And apoptosis is the process by which your body kills cells or gets rid of cells that it doesn't ha necessarily have the energy to support anymore. It's a, it's a way of sort of culling the herd is the easiest analogy. Go ahead. Exactly. Um, and so we, we, in the book, we call them senescent cells or, or zombie cells, if you will. And when those accumulate, because your nutrient sensing pathways, this can get really science heavy, but when you read the book, we simplify it as much as possible. But when your body says, oh wow, we've got a constant intake of food, it never gets into that body process. 
so those cells can accumulate because mm -hmm. it's a why would I, right? But right. when we don't eat enough, then that process gets out of control and we start to break down healthy tissues. So this right. is why balance is such a critical component, quite honestly, of longevity. So anyway, when we look at intermittent fasting, here, here's my take on it based on all the studies that my, myself and my co-author, a guy named Maya Murphy, looked at and the neuroscientists we spoke to. I personally am incapable of not eating for massive periods throughout the day. A lot of the studies we looked at were 16 hours of fasting, eight hours of eating. In the book, I recommend a minimum of 12 and a maximum of 16. And for example, you would make, let's say your last meal, 7 p.m. at night, you wouldn't wanna eat again the next day until at least 7 a.m. My concern when we let these periods of fast go too long is that other studies show us we become overly hungry and can tend to overeat, which is counterintuitive to right. begin with. Right. So then, you know, part of my issue with intermittent fasting is that people forget what fasting means. Technically, it should mean a period where you're not eating. And now it's become, in some circles, synonymous with calorie deprivation, where you're not eating enough. Okay. Or you're binging when you are eating, and then you've got these long periods where you're not eating. And what it should mean is, hey, this is a period where my body is not focused on oxidizing food. So in my opinion, it should have nothing to do with where you set your calorie allowance, but everything to do with how you structure your food intake. And if possible, then I would recommend 12 minimum, 16 maximum. I can't get to 16. When I, when I start getting past 14, I, no matter what I do, I just get, I have my coffee, but I just get like lightheaded, right. overly hungry and grumpy. So you also have to listen to your body. And that's why I like to give people that window. And in addition, I like to recommend eating every three to four hours. So that can equal that fast period if you're doing breakfast, lunch, snack, and dinner. So we don't have insulin surging throughout the day. Nutrient pathways aren't getting food scattered throughout small meals all day long while you're awake. And it allows you to stabilize blood sugar, keep insulin levels in check, which is also, which also has a tremendous impact on the six keys. Um, and in, in my opinion, help realistically maximize uh, autophagy or apoptosis without making you overly hungry and miserable. Okay. All right. So now just to, to finish the diet thing for one more second, if you had to drop one thing, processed sugar or saturated fat, which one would be more in line with the six keys? Oh my gosh. Processed sugar. If you said get rid of that right away, we might have a we might have a different conversation, but but um, a absolutely processed sugar, 100%. Do you feel like that's the most dangerous thing we're eating right now? Not that, yeah. Well, that's tough, right? If it, if it I mean, arguably, no, if you looked at like pesticides. Okay. Or you, you like know, literal like, poisons? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> like if we look, which happens to be in so much of our food, though, that's right, what's, right, what's right, right. staggering. So if we could take fake fat, fake color, pesticides, antibiotics, out of the equation, right? Mm -hmm. And then we're just looking at, okay, processed grains or processed sugar or saturated fat. I would I would say processed sugar all day long, all day long. Okay. All right. So we watch the saturated fats. We watch these, these non-food chemicals that are in our food. We watch the sugar that we intake. We do this sort of uh, less extreme version of intermittent fasting. And that 
will take care. In theory, that's like the good start of the diet side of things. On the exercise side of things, you recommend you recommended at the beginning of our conversation twenty minutes uh, a day for about five days uh, during the week, or as long as you're getting two hours a week is sort of the lowest bar. Is there another level where it get becomes that much more effective? <sighs> One other point I, I would like to just make on the food is calorie restriction is okay. crazy. And what I what I mean by calorie restriction, because I think this gets very confusing, if you're at a weight that you would like to maintain, calorie restriction, in my opinion, and the way we write about it in the book, um, and what I believe to be the most advantageous would be matching your active active right. metabolic rate, right? right. So Below that, you've got calorie deprivation, which is when autophagy gets out of control. Above that, you've got calorie surplus, weight gain, too much oxidative stress. Right. So now looking at fitness in a perfect world. Well, just to go back, in yeah. terms of fat on our bodies, you know, everybody just needs to know for all the diet recommendations that we have, for all of the conversation that we're having, there are foods that your body uses better than others. But calories in, calories out is still the bottom line. The laws of thermodynamics don't change. So if you're eating more than you're burning, you're going to get fat, even if it's all broccoli. Exactly. And it's it, it, there's a great YouTube talk about that called The Mathematics of Weight Loss. And it, it's a, by a guy who's like um, he's like an astrophysicist, I believe. Or I something. think I've he, seen it. It's awesome. And he it's like you cannot argue with it. <laughs> it doesn't matter how healthy the food is. Like, it doesn't. If you eat too much, you're going to gain weight and... It's just bad for oxidative stress. It's bad for aging, period. On its own, the oxidative stress it puts on the body and the energy it takes for you to constantly be breaking down food, no matter how healthy it may or may not be, is bad. So calorie restriction is also a critical component of managing um, and maximizing your longevity. Uh, when it comes to fitness, so... Yeah, switch it back to exercise now. Yeah, that that really is the bare minimum, man. Like, ugh, four half hours or five 20-minute sessions. And, you know, you want to meet people where they're at and you want to be like, yeah, we could do a seven-minute workout. And it, but, like, the goal is to get them started in that seven or ten-minute right. workout and then have them go, oh, all right, I feel fine. I could do another ten minutes. And the reality is that when we look at these body processes that we've been talking about um, – whether it is stress adaptation or inflammation, uh, telomeres, macromolecules, all of it. The nerd words. Nerd words, right? But exercise is, honestly, I say exercise like your, like your life depends on it because it does. And so we've looked at all the research with regard to crazy intensity training. And what it shows us is that if you're properly conditioned and you're training intelligently with periods of rest uh, in between intensity sessions so that your body has time to adapt to that stress and allow inflammation to do its job and make you stronger and fitter and what mm. have you without getting out of control, which then we get stress fractures and uh, rhabdomyolysis and all kinds of crazy stuff and cortisol gets out of control, we get injured. But if you're training properly and you're conditioning your body for intensity at the proper pace and building in rest and recovery days, mm -hmm. then to be honest with you, we don't really see negative effects from going farther and longer. Right. Um, I mean, now, yes, if you just went out there and you went crazy, 
uh, you would get hurt. And, and again, if you didn't str strategically build in your recovery days, but I mean, we're, we're seeing, there was one study on, on a group of individuals who were extremely fit that ran seven marathons in seven days. Yeah. And I thought for sure, I was like, oh, you know, cause I went into this thing. Okay, well let's get into extreme exercise and all the damage it does. And it, it didn't show any, if the athletes had conditioned their body for it, because right. the more free radicals they released from exercise, the more their body produced antioxidants. Mm -hmm. So it, it's the, the key is consistency right. with your fitness. That's the most important thing. And then I would say HIIT training and resistance training for shorter sessions, 20 to 30 minutes, four to five times a week, a week. practice, making sure, and this is one of the reasons I like muscle splits. Um, and it's, it's one of the issues I have with people that get very caught up in one particular type of fitness that they love is that you're not giving the body time to do the work of rebuilding and repair. So if you think of exercise as the architect and recovery as the builder, muscle splits allow you to do that. Right. But if so you're training- For those of you who don't know, muscle splits, what she's talking about is either having a, a push day, a pull day, and a leg day, or a day where you just work out chest muscles, another day where you just work out your back muscles, and then and that way your chest muscle, muscles are resting on the days that your back muscles are working. So that way, you know, part of your body is always resting and part of your body is always working. Exactly. And for me, I like a push split and a pull split. Um, and I do incorporate lower body so I can maximize um, something called peripheral heart action. Um, essentially, it just taxes uh, your cardiovascular system a little bit more because we're having to deliver blood up and down, up and down, muscles and, up. And up. the legs are the biggest muscle group. Ex exactly. So I like chest, shoulders, triceps, quads. Um, and I always hit core in every in every workout. Of course, because you have the abs that are on the cover of all your books. So of course, you're going <laughs> to emphasize core. I love you for that. <laughs> uh, and then back, biceps, glutes, and hamstrings. So I would do push on Monday, Thursday, pull on Tuesday, Friday. I get a minimum of 48 hours rest on those muscle groups um, in between. I'm so sorry. The ding is I have to have the sound on my computer. Uh, and so it keeps giving me those alerts. But Please forgive me. So Sorry. I like the I like the push splits Monday, Thursday, the pull splits Tuesday, Friday, and it gives me 48 hours of rest in between training those muscle groups again. So it allows me to go for that intensity when I'm training and really hammer those muscles, but it, it then subsequently gives me the downtime for them to rebuild, recover, and repair. And in, in the 20 plus years I've been doing this on myself, everybody I've ever worked with. And the, you know, the, the physiatrists I've worked with, the physical therapists I've worked with, I found that a 48-hour recovery period is ideal. And some people even recommend more, but I wouldn't recommend less if you're training those muscles in a focused, intense way. And, and you could do 48 hours of rest for the one muscle group. You don't have to skip your workout the next exactly. day. Just change muscle groups. Exactly. And so, that'll keep that calorie burn going for you if you're really looking to lose weight and tighten up. That's exactly right. And that's when I recommend workouts like steady state cardio. I would say if you have weight to lose, you do those on your off days. Okay. So that it, then that's where it's kind of like gravy. It's like extra credit, right? right. You're, you're going in there to burn some extra calories. Okay, great. But in a perfect world, I would love four intense resistance training sessions. The, the way I laid them out with those splits and one day of HIIT training and two full days off. Right. So it's pure HIIT, like Tabata protocol, 
in essence, but not for four minutes, right. for 20 minutes. Okay. So the book is The Six Keys, Unlock Your Genetic Potential for Ageless Strength, Health, and Beauty. Uh, Jillian, I, I, I'm, we have about five minutes left, and I want to talk. I'll, I'm going to put a link to where you can buy the book in the show notes. So it, they, it will explain a lot of the more scientific stuff that we're talking about right now. You can read the book and really unlock exactly what the healthiest kind of exercising you should be doing for your body are and how to live your life in a way that will make it so that in your 40s, people think you look like you're in your 20s because of how much everybody else is not keeping up with these kinds of principles. So that's that's it. In our last little five minutes of time, though, Jillian, I want to ask you, you have worked with everybody, from people who are very motivated to people that you have to work really hard to motivate. What would you say is the biggest barrier you've noticed for people being consistent about their exercise? If they are struggling with morbid obesity, um, that's a different animal. And what I would say is that people engage in self-destructive behaviors, whether it's eating far too much or drinking too much or dating the wrong people or gambling or whatever the heck it might be, not because they're stupid, not because they're weak, not because they're lazy, but because at one time or another, that behavior was directly related to their psychological survival in one way or another. And while it might be hard to perceive, I promise you it is 100% true. It could have something to do with control. It could have something to do with um, a relationship with a parent. There's a million things, but that is the most difficult barrier is getting them to let go of whatever it's providing them with. And they don't even know what that is. So I once worked with a kid who... Uh, whose mother was also overweight. And as he began losing weight, she began emotionally withdrawing from him because Mm. she felt abandoned. So what did the weight afford him? An emotional connection with his mother. So you see how complex it can be. Now, if it's your average bear and they just can't seem to stick to a regimen and they've got like 15 to 20 pounds they've packed on, then the truth of the matter is people cite everything from time, money. Those are the top two but I personally believe they just don't have a why. Mm. And it's, it's that Nietzsche quote, right? It's like, if you have a why to live for, you can tolerate the how. Because being healthy requires work and it requires sacrifice. Right. And work without that why or that purpose just feels punishing and life is punishing enough. So people need to really sit down and think about, in a very detailed way, how being healthy and taking that time and putting in the work and making the sacrifice is going to improve the quality of their life dramatically in ways that they care about. And I don't mean I'll be healthier. I mean, is it that you want to wear a two piece instead of a one piece? Is it that you want to have yes, sex? Yes, I do. All right, then. See, like this matters to you. That's what matters. And it doesn't matter how shallow. It doesn't matter how profound it could be walking your daughter down the aisle. It could be fitting into that bridal gown. It doesn't matter as long as it matters to you. And that's what's gotta drive you to do the work because work that has purpose becomes passion. Wow, I, I that's fantastic. So everybody go out and figure out your why. And if you wanna figure out the how, go ahead and check out The Six Keys. Once again, link to that book in the show notes. Jillian, thank you so much for your time. I'm thank This you. book is amazing, people need to be reading it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That's it for our show today. I want to say a big heartfelt thank you to Jillian for her time. Uh, link to her new book, Six Keys, is in the show notes, plus a couple other places you can get a hold of her. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. If you like the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to follow up with me, I'm Gib Gerard. I'm at facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on Twitter and Instagram. For John, you can find him at facebook.com slash John Tesh, at John Tesh on Twitter, at John Tesh underscore IFYL on Instagram. And now the Facebook page, facebook.com slash John Tesh, is where we spend a lot of time. We do Facebook Lives. We do them consistently, and you can see what our studio looks like, what we look like, all that stuff. And uh, we also are just posting constantly and responding to comments. Again, at facebook.com slash John Tesh. Uh, to go deeper, want to see us live, check out teshmusic.com. Sign up for our newsletter, tesh.com, so you don't miss a single episode of this or any of our other events. And once again, we don't do this without you guys. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>